remain silent while I am speaking. We have a lot to get through. Put that cigarette out. You know that I'm the cream of the crop. Oh my God, he, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's coming at you. He's gonna kill. He's fat. You three guys want a war tonight? You got one. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. And I'm saying, woo, right here. Hello and welcome to Keeping Kayfabe, where wrestling is still real to us. This is a professional wrestling fan podcast where we look back at the history of professional wrestling from a viewpoint of the present day and see what we think about it at this time and how our opinions may have changed or stay the same. You are listening to the show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or perhaps even KeepingKFabe.com if you're really cool. If you enjoy the show, please do us a favor and support us by leaving a rating and review. That is the best way to support us right now. Easy way to help other folks find the show, and we appreciate y'all's support of it. To introduce the folks we have on the show tonight, I am Mike Payton. I'll be the lead host of this show this evening. With me, I have two of my favorite people I've been doing shows with for a long time now. The first one is the host of Unanimous Decision. MMA and addicted to anime. His name is Steven Wago. What's shaking, Mr. Wago? Not much. I had a garage door fall on me today, but besides that, I'm good. Well, hopefully that doesn't affect your opinions on too many things tonight. Can't promise anything. Okay. <laughs> and also with us is the main man of SmartOutMoment.com and Fanboys Anonymous, the lead host of Smack Talk, Mr. Tony Mango. Hey, hey, what's up? I chucked the garage door at somebody today, but keep that on the uh, down low because that's kind of illegal. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> Drama already building here on the first episode of the Keeping Kayfabe podcast. Well, as I said, we look back on certain things in the history of wrestling. Primarily, we do events and matches, but we may do some other things as well. Uh, musical albums, TV shows, who the heck knows? We'll see what comes up going down the path. Uh, but tonight... We're going to be looking back on Royal Rumble 1988, as it is the Royal Rumble season. This is January 2015 is the current date. Uh, getting ready for the Royal Rumble of this season, which myself and Tony are actually super excited to be going and attending in person. I love the Royal Rumble match. I've actually already attended a Royal Rumble live at... Uh, 2008 it was the one in madison square garden the one where john cena made that huge return it's always one of my most looked forward to events uh and uh, for me it's one of my favorite matches all year and restarting this podcast i wanted to do something that was like a big number one and the obvious ones were like you know wrestlemania one or the first episode of raw but i was like uh, i, I want to do something a little bit different i could save those for another time and it came up with me to do world rumble 1988 and at first i thought it was a good idea and I don't know. After it uh, seems like getting your guys' opinions, I've been talking to you. It doesn't seem like this was uh, the best show to have had you guys watch. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. <laughs> That's an understatement. I guess 80s wrestling just doesn't agree with me. It's definitely a good idea. It's just uh, watching it back without those rose-colored glasses and stuff, it, it does a, a number on you. Well, it's, it's very odd Especially what we've come to expect of the Royal Rumble. This was the very first time they did this, not counting like a dark match one they did that's never talked about. Um, this was not even on pay-per-view. This was a television special on USA, who they had a big contract deal with at the time, so they would do big events like this on there. Uh, commercial breaks all throughout it. Uh, There's only 20 men in the Rumble match. 
it certainly was underwhelming compared to what we've come to expect in events like that. And even the other matches themselves are not like what we would consider pay-per-view quality. Uh, this was during the height of Hulkamania. Hulk Hogan was on the show, but it was for a contract signing with a, a rematch he was having with Andre the Giant. No match with him. Uh, no Savage. I don't know where he even was at this time. I'm pretty sure he was still with the company. The, the star power on this is certainly lacking. And even in the Rumble match itself, when you think of all those big stars in the 80s, this is with even 20 people, not the number of people I would have thought about that. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess we could start digging right into the show from the very beginning and running down each one of these matches that we had on there. From the very start, it's not what you typically expect on the show. There's there's no pyro or ballyhoo. It's a, a very basic video package of stills uh just showing the people who are going to be on the advertised events all the matches they have planned for the show were greeted by vince mcmahon and jesse ventura a commentary team that i always forget how really great they were together uh you know people talk about the great commentary teams at this time they'll very quickly bring up gorilla monsoon and bobby heenan and rightfully so i love those guys but vince and jesse were just just had such a great chemistry with each other jesse ventura knew just the right buttons to push on Vince McMahon and had the balls to do it with no worries about it. Well, at that time, I think uh, the boys generally got on better with uh, Vince McMahon. You always hear stories that he was a much more colorful guy and cheery back in those days. So I imagine guys could get back, uh, could get away with more back then. Uh, as a commentary team, they're fucking fantastic. There's not much more to say than that. Um, they've got a unique chemistry and... Back when they did that um, reunion on one of the old school rules, I think it was, mm -hmm. I thought it was fantastic, and it actually made me miss them. Tony, how would you describe Jesse Ventura's outfit this evening? <laughs> uh, there's probably not enough words in the dictionary and uh, in the thesaurus to bring that out. Um, colorful, at the very least, uh, <laughs> and confusing, because, you know, obviously the styles have changed. And we're kind of used to, at least normally, because sometimes, you know, you'll see, like, Michael Cole wear something weird or Jerry Lawler half-asses uh, attire. But we're, we've gotten used to at least, like, wearing suits and stuff mm -hmm. and, um, you know, a standard suit. You know, maybe the color is going to be blue this week. And it's like, whoa, we got a blue suit instead of a black one. Crazy. And Jesse Ventura is just kind of like, yeah... Nah, fuck that. I'm just going to grab, like, ten, <laughs> ten different outfits from my closet and just throw them all together. And, like, <laughs> Layer them on top of each other. Yeah. I gotta say, though, um, I like the Ventura and McMahon duo, but mm -hmm. on this event, I didn't think that they were really uh, hitting the nail on the head. Why not? There was something really droning about it this time around. Maybe it was just, like, a, a sluggish atmosphere or maybe i mean a little bit later on mcmahon even mentions that he's bored but um there was something odd that i kept listening throughout the entire time and noticing and it's mcmahon's always had this kind of mentality of like you have to oversell things a lot when he was a, a commentator and sometimes it's really fun to listen to because it's so over the top and you know he's just kind of like Especially in Royal Rumble is where he's over the top. He's out. He's out. He's no, he's not all the fucking time with that. But in this one, he kind of is just like, this is what you should be cheering. So go for it. And Ventura is like, nah. 
and it's just they don't have the same chemistry as they normally do in this one. I mean, there's worse commentary teams, of course, but uh, when I first originally clicked under this to watch this in preparation for it, um, as soon as I saw that it was Ventura and McMahon, I had forgotten that. I got excited. I was just like, oh, man, I get to listen to those two again. And they disappointed me, and it's a shame. But Well, diggity uh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got uh, four matches on this show, as well as uh, contract signing and uh, an attempt at uh, setting a world record for bench pressing. These are things that we can look forward to throughout this. Our first match, as we're sent to the ring for Howard Finkel doing the introducing, was a mid-carders match between Ravishing Rick Rude and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. A Rick versus Rick match. We immediately are told from Jesse Ventura that Rick Rude was a recipient of the Jesse the Body Award. And Jesse Ventura starts taking shots at Vince's puny body, which is knowing what we know now is just funny thinking like oh little does jesse know what vince is packing underneath that suit <laughs> or perhaps he did know and that was the joke maybe um this match began with a series of lockup moves uh the most exciting part of the beginning of it uh ricky the steamboat uh ends up skinning the cat <laughs> um there there's a test of strength there's uh all these like slow rest moves it's it's honestly very disappointing from the very start um the thing that actually started catching my attention at the beginning of the match was a fan at ringside who had some <laughs> kind of like megaphone yeah. and kept shouting stuff throughout the match and I, I couldn't actually figure out anything they were saying but like i could see them because they were in the the left corner of the ring there and like every time i saw him bring it up like oh they're saying something else <laughs> And I think they were chanting, cheering for Rick Rude is the, pretty much all I could get out of it is that they were in favor of Rick Rude. I couldn't tell 100% what he was saying, but I think at one point he said, that looks like that hurt, did it? And <laughs> I, whatever, whatever he had said, I know that there's at least one time where he turns around to his buddy and he looks like, do you see what I just said? <laughs> but I didn't notice him at first. Uh, I thought that it was Jimmy Hart. And then um, Ventura mentions, you know, the guy's got uh, an imitation Jimmy Hart megaphone in the crowd. And then I actually started paying attention. And then I was just like, oh, OK, so that's this weird yapping in the background that I'm hearing. Um, this match just was pretty much slow all the way throughout it. There was, you know, and that's OK to have a few like rest holds, but you're supposed to make it up for it with exciting moments. And they really didn't do that. Uh, the match ends when they're going through a series of pin reversals, and I mean like a lot of series of random pins over and over and over. Uh, eventually, Ricky Steamboat climbs up to the top rope for a crossbody, but Rick Rude pulls the referee in the way as he comes down, allowing Ricky Steamboat to knock the referee over. Rick Rude picks him up into this torture rack type move, only he's sideways. Does anyone, do you guys know what the name of that move is? I meant to look that up. I believe they call it the sideways torture rack. Okay, <laughs> I'm probably pissing off. Is that the Rude Awakening? Because I, I heard um, Jesse Ventura mention the Rude Awakening, and since Vince McMahon didn't know the hell the name of the move, like I, yeah, I, I do have that note written down where he says form of a maneuver here. <laughs> so how the heck am I supposed to know it if the, the freaking commentators aren't calling it what it is? Um, the referee gets back up, and we see him call for the bell, and we hear Rick Rude's music start playing, and it's easy to assume that Ricky Steamboat submitted. But then we hear Howard the Finkel, Howard the Finkel, oh my goodness, <laughs> Howard Finkel get on the referee, and he announces that the winner via disqualification was Ricky Steamboat. The referee decided to disqualify Rick Rude for pulling him in the way. The, the good guy wins. 
Triumphs. Yay. Be a <laughs> DQ, a but yay. A little odd seeing Steamboat dominate for a good portion of the match, too. At least yeah. for me. Yeah, know, I actually have dominated. that in my notes, too. It was weird. Um, the whole setup of the match was odd, like, based on what you normally base a match around. Mm-hmm. Um, they started off chain wrestling as any other match would. And typically from there, the baby face normally gets some type of fire, gets cut off, beat down, has a few comebacks, and then they go to the finish. But in this case, we didn't have that. Um, it was a bunch of chain wrestling, a bunch of chain wrestling, a bunch of chain wrestling. They had a pin sequence, and there was no real fire or anything that got you into a, the baby face coming back. What I was more, what I noticed most about this match was listening to the fans, because that was probably the most fun part of it. Except for the one annoying one that was shouting, Rudy, 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 Rudy. Oh, yeah, I remember that part. Yeah. Well, in in general, though, this match uh, is not what we would rate for what we would expect of these guys, or of a, of a high event quality, correct? I think we're all yeah, on board with that. Not. Yeah, definitely. I only enjoyed <laughs> the last third of this match. Um, and I actually have a, have a bit of a theory on this. Um, I, I can't make any excuses for Rude, but for Ricky Steamboat... Um, I know this is obviously after he had his classic at WrestleMania three, uh, he became the intercontinental champion. And for people who didn't follow up with that afterward, Ricky Steamboat decided he wanted a little bit of time off to spend with his wife. And if you know anything about the wrestling business, you don't ask for time off. That's a big no, no. So he got it, but he was pretty much in the doghouse for it. After that, he was never presented at the same level. Um, and when he came back, I know he really wasn't happy with his position or how things were going. And I know at this point, he was pretty much just waiting for his contract to run out, which it was very soon after this. I believe he wrestled up until the uh, tournament at WrestleMania 4. He was in that, uh, but he lost, I think, in the very first round. Yeah, he lost to, to Greg the Hammer Valentine in the first round. And then he was gone. Then he went back to NWA, where I believe he would win the world championship there very soon after. The wall worked out for him, but I, I think his heart was just not there in this match, and that could be a lot of the reason why the energy was not there. Plus, there was a section of it, I have a note written down, but I didn't specify when, where literally my note is, I'm so out of breath, I've been holding this guy in a headlock forever. Because uh, it really, <laughs> it slowed down, and they were, like, pouring sweat. And... I don't know. I mean, I'm not the type of guy that can boast and say, oh, I could do that and whatever, because I certainly could not. But even back then, it seemed like Steamboat and Rude had much better conditioning than what you could see in this kind of match. So it was a disappointment in a lot of different ways. As far as it, that being a potential reason, it might have been. But I don't know. I've seen some stinkers from Ricky Steamboat um, in NWA, too. Uh, now that some of his matches are available on the WWE Network for $9.99. One funny note about this match which really struck me is I forget, I keep forgetting there was a time where tap-outs didn't exist. Oh, yeah. No, you you, you never really knew when someone gave up. They just kind of, like, shook their head, but they're, like, always shaking their head. Yeah, it was was the only way you got a big pop for a submission was if the referee was good enough to, like, animate him calling the tap-out. Well, if uh, this match wasn't very exciting for you, I don't think things are going to be picking up as we go into our next segment. Oh, God. It's an uh, <sighs> attempt at breaking the world bench press record being done by Dino Bravo. 
Now, if you're not familiar with Dino Bravo, he was sort of a um, a carryover from the earlier days of WWF, really before they, they got big. He was a bigger star in the early 80s, and he just kind of like lingered around after the years because he had this big physique and they were still into him as a guy. Um, we, we start off with Mean Gene and Jesse Ventura on the podium. Mean Gene is hosting the little event there as Jesse Ventura is going to be the spotter for Dino Bravo. What a, a very prestigious position, I'm sure. Uh, they introduce Dino Bravo with his manager, Frenchie. <laughs> Tony, how would you describe Frenchie? The same kind of mentality as the clothing that Ventura is wearing, but in a person. <laughs> Wago, how would you describe Frenchie? Like, how would you describe the Frenchie gimmick? Well, he sounded like cancer, but... As far as his gimmick goes, it was fucking overly cheesy and everything what you'd expect in 80s pro wrestling. Well, he cut his French promo as Bravo is powdering up the weightlifting bar in his hands. Bravo lays down but quickly gets up and says that this is going to require full concentration and asks that everyone not make a sound while he does this. What do you think that makes the crowd want to do? Go dead silent because they respect him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I was in the fucking audience, I'd be heading to the food stand. <laughs> he does a warm-up rep of uh, 415 pounds just to get started, and he does 10 quick reps like it's absolutely nothing. Um, you know, I haven't benched in quite some time. If uh, you know, if you listen to uh, an older episode of the Raw Post Show, you'll learn I, I don't lift. Sorry. <laughs> don't lift, bro. Um, but 415 sounds like a lot of pounds. Yeah, I mean, that... Um, That's a big I, show. Was, when I was watching this, I had forgotten uh, eventually by the time he started actually lifting a little bit because this segment went on forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot what the record was. And when he started doing that with the 415 or 450 or whatever it was, I was just like, oh, shit, is he doing the fucking uh, record just like this easily? This is ridiculous. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, no, it's actually like twice this amount. <laughs> okay, that makes a little bit more sense, mm-hmm. but... Hell, that's a hell of a lot more than I could do, I'm sure. Well, he adds uh, some more weight, making it 505. Mean Gene reminds us once again that Bravo wants complete silence as Jesse the Body Ventura goes nuts, saying, Would you please do something about these idiots making all these noise? Bravo does the next set very easily. They continue raising up the weight. They, they repeat this process over and over. It felt like a dozen times uh, until eventually they finally get to the uh what's going to be the record breaking amount 715 pounds however that weight is unofficial as we're told by jesse the body because the bar needs to be weighed later on but uh if so this this should be a world record 715 pounds bench pressed dino bravo goes for the attempt but at first he he jumps back up again going ballistic because the crowd is cheering too loudly causing him to get frustrated Frenchie, however, convinces Bravo to go back. Bravo goes for it. However, after dropping the bar down, struggles to start lifting it up. And we see Jesse Ventura drop down to pick it up a little bit and bring it back up to the resting position. They, they begin celebrating, but Vince starts calling him out on commentary. What? Jesse helped. He didn't do nothing. He didn't break no record, but wasn't even any time to talk about it. They cut so quickly to commercial, which must have been one of the unfortunate things about being on TV and also because they didn't time the segment well enough and probably went too long. It's like, oh, crap, we're we're running late for our commercial. I hated the segment entirely. And I get what they was doing. They was just trying to get some cheap heat on the guy. 
but it was just dull. If it was half this long, I could forgive it some, but way too long and just generally not funny um, from one standpoint and didn't piss me off in uh, the way they wanted. I kind of just wanted to go take a shit. <laughs> now, Tony, could they do something like this today with, like, Big E? They do do things like this today. Um, that's actually one thing that, as much as I can criticize that this whole show was not really the best thing uh, in the world to watch, I still saw a lot of parallels between what they do now, and they take their sweet-ass time quite a bit in a lot of different segments still. Mm. Uh, this went on way, way too long, and they dragged it out twice, if not three times more than it should have been, to get the same reaction over and over to, which is really bothersome. You know, once you see him get up and complain about the noise once, the second time should either be a significant boost up or you don't need to do it anymore. And he did it about five times. So that was really, you know, I, I get it. You couldn't think of anything better and you want to maximize the time as much as possible, but it's not working. But nowadays, when they do this kind of a thing, they don't tend to stick on the same note and drag it out. They tend to just throw extra random stuff in there that is sort of pointless. I mean, if you look at like uh, the opening promos on a lot of episodes of Monday Night Raw, we can have 15, 20 minutes of some kind of you know uh, in-ring promo where multiple people come out and all that's accomplished in the entire thing is that they set up a match that everybody knew was going to happen anyway. So I'm used to the whole idea of stretching it out and making a whole dud of a segment, but this really was brutal. And Vince McMahon, later in the show, I can't remember which segment it was, uh, might have been during the Royal Rumble itself, he says it was dull he almost went to sleep and it was boring. So if he, even he can admit on the show that that segment sucked, that shows quite a bit. Cause McMahon's in full blown. This is amazing. Everybody look at the you know, Bravo here. He's, he's got the, I don't know if he really did that. Jesse, you helped out too much. Didn't you? I, I'm going to ask you that six different times later on in this show. If you helped out, you know, so He's uh, flat-out babyface uh, commentator mode, and even he got to a point where he's just like, dude, that sucked. <laughs> Poor Dino Bravo. Poor everybody in, set, in that segment. Uh, well. Poor me for watching it. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Well, things finally pick up a little bit in the next match from some unlikely candidates. It's a match for the women's tag team titles. The What? Yeah, they had tag team titles for the women. They were created and just pretty much handed to the Glamour Girls, Judy Martin and Leilani Kai, who held on to them for, I think it was something along the lines of like two and a half years. Um, at Survivor Series the previous year, they were actually pinned during the women's Survivor Series match by some newcomers coming in from Japan called the Jumping Bomb Angels. And since they pinned them in that match, that pretty much made them candidates to face them for the tag titles at the next big event, which was the Royal Rumble. And here we are. Uh, tag team match featuring the Divas before they were called Divas. And because this is the late 80s and it's a tag team match, it's a two out of three falls match. Uh, we start off seeing the Glamour Girls 
in the ring with the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, their manager. The Jumping Bomb Angels come out next to an already very supportive crowd in favor of them. Uh, Jesse uh, asks Vince McMahon what the names of the Jumping Bomb <laughs> Angels is. And his response is, well, it. unfortunately, I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> Okay. Let's uh, call them pink and blue. Pink and, pink red. and red. Yeah, you refer to them as the pink and red angels throughout the match. And unfortunately, that's pretty much what I'm referring to them as well. Um, but by the time he actually did get the one's name, um, remember the, the one's name? Or something? He fucking said it wrong. <laughs> well, he, you speak about names, though. He speak of Japanese, uh, so. <laughs> I know if we're talking me. about the names of the people in here, we gotta mention one thing. Those glamour girls... They're ugly. <laughs> well, Fucking here's the thing. Ugly. It, women's women in '80s wrestling were a different breed of the the divas we have today. Where even like the lesser looking, good looking women are still pretty sexy to a standard. You know, like women back then were were more about like just being some tough broads who can go in there and brawl <laughs> around with each other. Yeah, but still, the fact that they went with glamour girls, Ugh. they couldn't have just been like. Two big chicks or something. They should have just been called two uh, two ugly gold skanks. <laughs> and they were like, they were old. I hate to say these, these women were like in their thirties, maybe even closing in on forty. Well, here's the thing, though. That makes um, this even more sad that their level of wrestling was above the majority of current WWE's roster. Well, that... on, the, on the women's side, very true. Uh, the match starts off with the Jumping Bomb Angels doing a double drop kick, giving them the advantage in the beginning of the match. Uh, they eventually get into a double figure four, which gets the crowd really excited. They keep tagging in and out, doing various submission holds. Oh, however, unlike the first match, these were actually some exciting and innovating looking submission holds. They were still cool to see. Um, at one point, Jimmy the Mouth, Jimmy the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Oh my God. <laughs> One uh, Jimmy. <laughs> hey, you know Jimmy, Jimmy the Mouth. Yeah, this is a stacked card. We got Jimmy the Mouth, Ricky the Steamboat. We've got uh, what was the other one from earlier? I don't know. I don't know, Ricky the Root or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, Howard the Finkel. Howard, Howard the, the Finkel, Finkel. That's right. Creating <laughs> quite a little league here. Uh uh, at one point, Jimmy Hart starts massaging Leilani Kai's legs in the corner to try to wake them up after they were locked into submission <laughs> for a long period of time. Uh, just some funny 80s comedy they do at ringside. I Get some circulation back in there. Yeah, I miss, yeah. I miss having managers for doing silly stuff like that. Yeah, now they just walk around on the outside and kind of look lost. Uh, the first fall comes when Judy Martin does this really cool move it was sort of like she picks her up for a powerbomb position but rather than dropping her down for the powerbomb she just kind of like lets her continue flipping into like a flapjack that was really neat i think it's called the alley-oop the alley-oop yeah mm -hmm. sure uh that i believe big show had that as a finisher for a little bit didn't he didn't he call that the showstopper i thought the showstopper is when he draped his leg over you i thought the showstopper was the name of his chokeslam for a while Oh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I do remember him doing that. Lots of different moves, apparently. That move, though, and I don't know what he had called it, but uh, I've always liked that move. I always thought that that could be used a lot more. It's so pretty it nice devastating looking, especially for the women to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, her landing was clunky as fuck on it, too, so it looks sweet. So uh, Glamour Girls get the first pin, giving the heels the early advantage in the two or three falls. We go to a commercial break, and it's interesting that as soon as we come back from commercial, that Vince actually knows the names for the Jumping Bomb Angels. <laughs> he, he learned Japanese pretty fast, didn't he? 
<laughs> we're getting phone fo- Stone back then. We're getting phone calls about you being racist. Here's the names, quick. <laughs> um, the the second fall didn't take very long. The Red Angel quickly gets a roll up pin for the second fall, evening it out. Uh, we begin the third fall with the Glamour Girl still in control. Lots of slow submissions and even some biting getting some real 80s heel tactics in there eventually the red angel takes back control of the match gets a couple near falls on judy martin the ref gets distracted when leilani kai tries to come in to get the save allowing both of the jumping bomb angels to run up to the corners and do a double drop kick knocking judy martin down for the final pin allowing the jumping bomb angels to win the women's tag titles and the crowd goes nuts like it was such a feel-good moment. These, this crowd was so into this victory. And I can't think of any title wins in recent history. Well, okay, the Daniel Bryan win at WrestleMania 30. But that was almost a year ago. We've had a number of title wins, and none of them have meant anything like this women's tag team title victory. Yeah, yeah I was surprised at the pop. Yeah, it's not like they had exactly had too much promotion other than that of a match. So there was no real reason for everyone to be invested. And that just shows what a great performance they had, because... They told every, um, any story that they needed to in the ring, and it got over. Uh, I don't think uh, the future was very bright for these girls after this, though. I, I don't believe they even defended these titles at WrestleMania 4. Um, I'm actually not too familiar with the uh, the title history of those. I should uh, look that up. <laughs> no one else they might have either. won it one more time. It might have been like a they switched it back and forth between somebody else or something. I actually I looked at their Wikipedia page earlier today. They are they're only listed as a one time champion. A one time. Hmm. Let's see here. Oh. WWF women's tag team titles. The one time. the Jumping Bomb Angels lost them back to the Glamour Girls in June via countout? Oh. I didn't hmm. What's it, a two out of three falls count out thing? No, it was in Japan. That's weird. And then they were vacated in 1989, and they were just the title was just abandoned. Yep, sounds like That's this company. Sad. They like people losing in their home country. They don't need hometown. a tag team title for the women. <laughs> Certainly not. I mean, they don't even have women's tag team. I guess they have the Bella Twins now, but... Gosh, could you imagine? There are people that really do have like a clamoring for that though every once in a while there's discussions on you know different message boards and stuff where people talk about like what championships should come back and naturally the top choices are almost always the cruiserweight and the hardcore and the european but then there is you know this vocal group that's like why don't the divas have a tag title and it's like well there's like eight divas so (laughs) you know you kind of can't do that tna tried and i think it failed pretty bad just like a lot of things tna tries yeah. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts on this match, though, guys? Uh, there's one thing that it ties into something a little bit later on, but um, Jimmy Hart is awesome. And uh, I kind of wish that we could see him more often. Maybe that would wear down how awesome he is a little bit. Um, I loved him in uh, The Legends House, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something that I didn't catch until a little bit later on, but thinking back on this match, it's uh, kind of a funny little attribute he changes his jacket to match the wrestlers that he's out with oh yeah on this show i don't know if he had done that before oh, he always and it's something that. i didn't pay that much attention to but uh you know he comes out with the glamour girls to so wearing their uh shiny gold whatever the hell outfit you could call that uh probably stole it from ventura's closet and uh jimmy hart's got his matching gold one a little bit later on he comes out with the Hart foundation he's got the, the exact same thing but in pink mm-hmm. <laughs> like 
<laughs> you know, he's kind of pulling like the John Cena thing where you just change the colors, but it's the same outfit over and over again. But uh, Jimmy Hart is great in almost like any role as a manager. Uh, this little stooge. Uh, having him hang around with the Glamour Girls boosts them up even more because I don't think that they would have been in a situation where the fans could have gotten that behind them and wanted to see the Jumping Bomb Angels win if it weren't for somebody like a Jimmy Hart being with the Glamour Girls. Because if it was just the Glamour Girls themselves, maybe it would have just slipped under the radar. Um, so credit to him for that. Credit to the women mostly, of course, because they put on a better match than uh, some of the other things that happened on the show. But um, after watching this, though, I'm not really going to start looking up other Glamour Girls matches and <laughs> no. Jumping Bomb Angels matches on the network. So I've had my fill, but it was it was a boost up from the Dino Bravo thing. So now that I've had a time to get handed some notes, um, I'm going to go ahead and correct the names for the Jumping Bomb Angels just so it's on the record here. It's uh, Norio Tatino and Itsuki Yamazaki. So there you go. Yeah, that's that's what I said. Oh, actually, there's one other thing I wanted to mention in this um, that I, I had noticed earlier in the, the Steamboat match, but it's obvious in this one, too. At least on the network, I don't know if anybody's watching it elsewhere, the redub with Howard Finkel is so obvious. What do you mean? When they announce the winner of the match, uh-huh. or the winners of the match, you can tell that it's a more modern-day Howard Finkel. Really? Yeah, if you listen to how he announces Rick Rude... It's a completely different voice on how he announces Ricky Steamboat, and that same voice is the one that he announces the uh, Jumping Bomb Angels in. Now, why do you think they um, did that? I think it's something to do with uh, the music. Because mm. I know that Steamboat used to use that song, um, Serious. Serious, yeah, yeah, by and they, uh, Alan yeah, and they Parsons don't have the Project. Rights to that. So they most likely they had to redub that with a different song from just their generic production library. And, you know, probably distorts Finkel way too much. They just got him to redo that, but... I did it's... notice a couple times where, like, the audio... Like, even the background audio of the crowd seemed to be different, and I think that was the odd point they were the re- where they were redubbing. Yeah, when I had heard it in the Steamboat match, I thought that something was off, but in this one, it became more obvious because you could actually hear where they fade out the fake crowd chant, and kind of like a... Uh, fade in the actual crowd chant because it's a totally like different sound quality so i don't know what the original song was for the jumping bomb angels but um whatever the one that you guys are listening to on the network i guarantee it's not the same one that they used at the time at least they didn't go too bad and just use like fucking kung fu knocky's feet or the what was the name of that guy that came out in i think the 95 rumble or something it's like like it's just really just they didn't try at all they're just kind of like here you go chopsticks uh well our next segment was a contract signing for one of the biggest rematches in history we begin with some flashbacks to wrestlemania 3 the irresistible force versus the immovable object hulk hogan versus andre the giant we then see Ted DiBiase in an interview where he says he plans to buy the WWF title, but Hogan tells him, Hell no! WWF title is not for sale. So Ted DiBiase you know, has some other plans. You know, when you have money, you can make things happen. He hires Andre the Giant as a mercenary. 
And so that sends Andre on the path to face Hulk Hogan. And that brings us to this day where we're going to make the contract signing for the rematch. Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant 2. Now, what do you guys got to say about this this feud in general, looking back on it? I mean, when we think about what we know about Hulk Hogan and the mystique of him and Andre now, <laughs> could you even be excited about watching a segment like this now? Hell no. And I don't think in this day and age anyone like Hulk Hogan would have ever got over. It's amazing how such a big deal he was for having such little ability. I've always thought the character was more goofy than natural entertainment and God forbid it's fucking we discuss his uh, ring ability. So That's a good thing he doesn't wrestle on the show then. Yeah, that's true. But it's just what I'm saying is with all this, despite it he was so fucking over, and when you look back on it, knowing what he really is, it's hard to uh, give it a chance. Now, um, are, you, are you letting ter- your opinion of Terry Bollea influence your opinion of Hulk Hogan? I've never liked Hulk Hogan. Okay. Even as, like, before I became a smartass back as a kid, I thought he was stupid. Hmm. Aren't they the same person? <laughs> no. I'm pretty sure he thinks he's just Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to actually be the opposite end of this, though. I, I've always liked Macho Man more than Hogan, mm-hmm. but I used to be a Hogan fan back in the day, and I still think that, you know, he deserves some credit where credit's due. Uh, I definitely don't want to sit through, you know, a gauntlet match of his or anything, but I think that the story itself is pretty amazing. I mean, DiBiase has so much flexibility with his character, and his character was almost flawless you just got to watch that one promo of him with the basketball and the little kid to just (laughs) instantly fall in love with the character well you shouldn't fall in love with him but i'm an asshole so of course i thought it was amazing but um the idea that he would want to buy the championship from somebody who is supposed to have like the highest amount of morals in the whole company you know that's something that we would see right now with the the john cena character and back then with hogan it could work a lot more than it would with john cena today But uh, what would you do if, you know, the guy wouldn't sell to you? You get the biggest man in the company to take it. And why not Andre? Like, if you had Hogan and Andre, you had a giant match that packed the stadium to the rafters. You want to try to capitalize on that and do it again. So, uh, you know, uh, lots of credit to WWE in a lot of different ways. I actually think that maybe it should have been... Hogan and uh, DiBiase in the finals of the tournament at WrestleMania. But, you know, uh, credit where Savage deserves that uh, to begin with, and then that leads to the Mega Powers and all that. Maybe it did happen the right way, but I think the story itself is as rock-solid as you could possibly get. We begin with Andre, Ted DiBiase, and the rest of the crew already in the ring. Hulk Hogan makes his entrance to Real American Kick-Ass theme song. If you can say nothing else positive about Hulk Hogan, that's one awesome theme song. Hogan not wearing the the red and yellow tonight, though. He's wearing something really odd. It's like this blue tie-dye outfit. Kind of threw me off. Uh, Mean Gene introduces the challenger, Andre, who's just standing nonchalantly. His hands in his pockets, bouncing off the ropes very softly. <laughs> it's really funny, so you're just standing and chilling like that. Uh, we're introduced to President Jack Tunney, who says that uh, we should get on with it and sit down. 
as enthusiastic as possible too. It's just like, all right, guys, so you ready to sit? Yeah, yeah. Jerry, right. I mean, he was talking constantly during the segment, but you couldn't hear him. He was like halfway turning away from the microphone and just mumbling into his pocket. <laughs> He's probably talking to a candy Barbie to eat the fuck out of you. <laughs> and Andre's just kind of like, I'm not sitting down. I went at that candy bar. <laughs> um, Hogan is the first to sit, but Andre stands, just standing there still in the corner, um, just biding his time, build, building up the, the tension. He finally eventually walks his way over to the table, but he folds his hands into each other in a squeezing type motion just to antagonize Hogan a little bit further. Finally, Andre takes a seat, and it's just funny. As he sits down, you hear the crowd, like, swell a little bit with excitement. It's like, all right, he did sit down. They, they're they following uh, Jack Tunney's excitement. It's like, all right, we're all sitting. Isn't this great? Surprised we don't hear the dude with the megaphone be like, yeah, sitting. <laughs> Woo. He, I'm sitting. He's sitting. I can relate to him. <laughs> we're on the level. Even though, even though Andre is probably, like, taller than all of us while he's sitting. Including right. the back row. Uh, Ted DiBiase takes the mic and starts taunting Hogan like he's chicken for not signing the contract right away. Hogan signs it, passes it off to Andre. Andre picks up the contract and starts just thumbing through it. And just the thought of him, like, sitting there, like, reading through it for the fine print, like, I almost expect him to, like, take out his reading glasses from his pocket and, like, put them on at the end of his nose and, like, (laughs) just see him suddenly become this studious man. This is just really funny. Uh, Andre eventually signs it. And Ted DiBiase says, all right, Andre, you signed. Now put your stamp of approval on it. Hogan immediately can sense something is up, jumps up to his feet and gets into a defensive stance. Andre's standing as well. Hogan turns his attention off of Andre for just one second onto Ted DiBiase. And Andre takes advantage, slams Hogan's head into the table, throws him back and flips the table over onto Hogan. Intense moment, setting up the match, of course, they would have later on. Uh, well, first of all, let's say, what, what do you guys got to say about this segment? I mean, it seems like, Wago, you're not too positive on it. No, I just found it very underwhelming. Didn't really give me anything to grab onto and get me hooked into their dialect, so I just kind of phased out. Tony, did you stay positive on it like you said before? Uh, no. <laughs> no, not really. Um, But you know what? As- the first note that I have is, in all caps, this is taking fucking forever. And then the second note is, things haven't changed, they were just tamer back then. This is exactly the same lineup that we get now. I mean, down to even the fact with the table. Nowadays, of course, you have to amp everything up, people go through the tables. This one, you just flipped <laughs> it over. But tell me a single contract signing that wasn't dragging it out, where the heel isn't signing, people are cutting promos... Everybody's cheering that they're sitting, uh, you know, and something ends up happening where they get into some kind of physical altercation and the table gets messed up every time, every single time. So if you hate on this segment, you pretty much got to hate on all the ones that we have now, unless the only thing that's different is, you know, as soon as the people go through the uh, whatever those tables are made of nowadays instead of the solid oak, which uh, DiBiase makes a point specifically point out uh it was funny though watching um watching andre stand there with his suspenders looking like uh mr tough guy but dressed completely the opposite of it Mm -hmm. 
So Andre's such a cool dude, and oh, yeah. Hogan's you know at this like peak of just being Hogan, so he's phoning it in a little bit. And we already you know made jokes about Tony, but well, say what you will about it being a typical formula. I think Andre looked like a monster in this segment. I mean, he looked like he was a hundred feet tall, and Hogan was facing some of the biggest opposition that he was ever going against. I mean, he barely beat him at WrestleMania three. And now he's got to face him again. Um, and he wouldn't be victorious this time, actually. For for those who don't know how this all played out, uh, Hogan and Andre would have their match. I don't know what the event it was on. I think it was just some random television event. Uh, main event. It, okay. Yeah, Saturday night main event, maybe. Um, Andre won. Um, this was that whole thing with, like, the two referees. They were identical! Identical! Um, which would eventually... Um, uh, Andre would win the title, hand it off to Ted DiBiase. However, Jack Tunney would not allow such a thing to happen, and the title would be vacated, creating the tournament for the title at WrestleMania 4. It's a fucking crime that Ted DiBiase didn't become champion. There there are some um, videos out there you can find where he's walking around with that title. Some like Boston Garden shows, he has the title around his waist, and he's coming out being introduced as the world champion. It's actually kind of cool to see. If it Here's the thing, if if this wasn't going to be the time he got the title, they should have done it at a different time because he deserved it. Pisses me off that he never got it. Now, if he had the world title, would he do like the two title thing with the million dollar title too? Um, I'm not sure because the partially the reason the million dollar title was around is because he didn't have a belt. So I don't think there'd be a need for it. Was the million dollar title out around this time or did that come after? Came after. Oh, I guess it did come after. So we probably wouldn't even have the million dollar title. True that. True that. Which that's a shame, but he does. Uh, he does deserve to have that, like, be officially recognized. It's a shame. He should have actually been like a multi-time champion. I think. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, you know what? Make it to where, like, the championship is fine. Like, you know, okay, you bought the championship or whatever, but you've got to defend it at WrestleMania, and you know. Then you, you ever, set up some other match or something. Did you ever hear him tell his story about coming into the WWE? I don't believe so. He did, no. it, he did it on some podcast. I forget if it was Austin's or maybe Cole Cabana's or somebody's. Um, but he talked about his first meeting he ever had with Vince McMahon. And he comes in and, you know, he's he's had a pretty good career so far for himself down south. But, you know, this is the big time coming into WWE. And uh, he sat down. And I think he's first approached by, I think it was either Pat Patterson or some, someone similar like that. And they're like, all right, listen, man, I'm going to tell you right now, this is big. All right, what Vince wants to do with you is what Vince McMahon would like to do if he could put on a pair of tights and go in there and wrestle himself. That's how <laughs> much he believes in this gimmick. And like that was how the gimmick was introduced to him. And so just that, that that's that tidbit of it for you put it there. If Vince McMahon could have wrestled, that's what he would have came in under as the million dollar man. I, you know, I, I could see it. He's got a lot of that same swagger. And uh, for the character itself, I would say easily top five characters of all time in wrestling history. Mm. And hats off to, like, Ted DiBiase for just embracing it and knocking it out of the park. Because I could never picture a different guy doing it. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I mean, with the gimmick, they said, we're going to have you live the gimmick. You're going to ride in the nicest limos. You're always going to have tons of cash. You're going to be spending it lavishly everywhere you go. Because you know you had to protect kayfabe back then, so he had mm-hmm. to live the gimmick all the time. How who who would Whoa say no to that? Whoa, it's me! I have to get <laughs> money and riches. 
Oh, look at all this surplus dough in my uh, wallet. I feel, <laughs> that's like, I feel so bad for Jimmy the peasant filmer over there. <laughs> I, I think he just uh, came from AWA at the time, so he must have been like, jackpot! Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the next is uh, the big match for the show, the titled match. The 30-man, well, not the 30-man, excuse me, the 20-man Royal Rumble match. Uh, very different, as I said before, as the Rumble matches we familiar. Really not too different, but mainly the fact that it's only 20 people. Um, there's no entrances as far as like music or any ballyhoo for people coming out. It's it's very underwhelming in those. And, and even the, the cast of people in this match is like a lot of nobodies. <laughs> a lot of what nobodies. Are you about? Killer bees are so awesome. I, I have something to say about the killer bees, and I'm going to save it until we get to their point in the match. But uh, this is okay. And, you know, it's it's a it's a concept of it. But when we look back on it with all the great Royal Rumble matches and moments we've had since then, it's uh, it does not age very well, to say the least. Um, So we get uh, our first two entrants start off in the ring. It's Bret Hart, still part of the Hart Foundation at the time with Jimmy in the Mouth of the South as his manager and Tito Santana. Both of them already in the ring. We have the Fink. I thought it was Steamboat. <laughs> uh, who knows it could have been either of them I always get them confused it's so crazy that all three of us at some point as the kids used to con- uh, get those mixed up when they really they don't look a lot alike obviously they're not even like the same uh, ethnicities and stuff. there's something about them where they kind of look the same and, and I feel like I've talked to other people and they've said this too so if you are listening to this please let us know tweet to us at Keeping Kayfabe leave it in the comments wherever you're listening to it have you ever gotten Tito Santana and Ricky Steamboat confused when you watched old wrestling videos as a kid please tell us because as soon as we brought this up with the three of us i felt like uh, i wasn't as much of a lunatic because i was the only person that i knew that thought that and it was like oh my god thank you i'm not insane for getting these guys mixed up as a kid um so we have the fink in the ring he's running down the rules for the match uh as he's become famous for doing over the years uh it wasn't quite as enthusiastic as he would grow to do it but still always fun to hear the fink run down some royal rumble rules i hope they bring him back this year love to see him in there oh my god that would be amazing um this actually starts off like an actual wrestling match with these two i guess they hadn't quite figured out the whole idea of how to do a, a royal rumble match these guys were wrestling like they were in an intercontinental title match or something <laughs> uh brett does all of his big moves he does the the second rope elbow drop he the kick where he does a split and kicks them in the midsection uh the clock counts down and we get our third entry which is the natural butch reed uh tony what do you got to say about the natural butch reed I can tell you one thing that's not natural, his hair color. <laughs> uh, We're skin color for that point, all that tanning, Jesus. He comes in, he quickly powers over Steamboat, and uh, him and Brett begin double teaming on him, which doesn't get much better when eventually Jim the Anvil Neidhart comes in at number four, the teammate, of course, of Brett Hart, and they all begin triple teaming on Tito Santana, trying to eliminate him as the clock counts down for number five, Jake the Snake Roberts, who quickly gets in and tosses out Butch Reed to even things out. He's a ball of fire fighting off the Heart Foundation as Tito Santana is able to get himself back in the game. Number six, King Harley Race, who did not look very good at this point. Not look very kingly. Not good to be the king back in 1988. <laughs> this was uh, very much uh, the Burger King. Um. I believe he won a King of the Ring before it was a King of the Ring. This is when they were still doing like King of the Rings off TV. And that's how he had gotten the King gimmick. If I'm if I'm 
wrong, please someone correct me. I think that's how it went. Okay. Sounds familiar. Because I don't, I don't remember him really being credited as one of the King of the Ring winners, but it was one of the ones where they did it off TV, I think he got. I think that they, like, retroactively give it to him. Like, they mention, you know, like, Savage and Bret Hart, and, you know, when they start talking about, like, the older ones, I think that they kind of throw Harley Race in there, but more than anybody, when somebody brings up King of the Ring, people are like, oh, Austin? And then yeah. it's like... Yeah, I think he uh, won it in De Janeiro, Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> it was the same night that the um, the Glamour Girls won the women's tag titles. Wasn't that the same night that Pat Patterson won the uh, Intercontinental Championship? Yeah, and Ahmed Johnson won the Kuwaiti Cup. <laughs> <laughs> um, so number seven is one half of the Killer Bees, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. Uh, who evens the fight for the baby faces. And this brings me to a topic that I wanted to bring up with Royal Rumble matches, and that's that I really don't like tag teams being in Royal Rumbles. I really don't see any need for that because there's no investment whatsoever, and there's no chance that I think this person has of going in there. Unless it's like, you know, like a rated RKO tag team where it's two established guys just coming together for a short run. I'm perfectly fine with it. I mean, everyone wants that big opportunity to be fight on the grandest stage of them all, so they're going to willingly go up against each other if they have to for that. To me, it sort of depends. If um, you got a tag team, like right now, you know, we've got like Stardust and Goldust, we've got the Usos. If you can afford to not have them in the match and have some bigger mid-carders or main event talent or even legends... I'd much rather have that. Like if uh, this year when we go to the Royal Rumble, if somebody says to me, look, we've got two spots left. Do we give it to Diego and Fernando of Los Matadores or do we give them to, I don't know, Fit Finley and Dean Malenko who are hanging out in the back? I want Malenko and Finley more yeah. than Diego and Fernando. Well, let's obviously didn't mean anything they're not going to win. Like what are they going to do? Are they going to call out freaking like uh... – <laughs> I don't know. Ventura mentioned San Martino. In he it. did mention San Martino. That that actually would have been fitting, knowing what we know about Rumbles now. Yeah. That would have been very fitting. Um, but when it comes to but, somebody like you know jumping yeah. Jack from the well, Killer yeah, Bees, Killer Bees oh, is on. a perfect like relative to Lost Man Doors. At least if it was a good tag team, like I think it was the following year where one and two was Demolition, both members of Demolition. That was kind of creative and that was clever. That was a good use of having a tag team in there. Jumping Jim Brunzel has no place in this. Kind of like how Marsh and Thrasher did it in 2000. <laughs> Just a wasted tag team. Mm -hmm. uh, they had to get some boobs on the show at some point, so <laughs> they needed to get Marsh out there. Didn't they have Mae Young earlier in the night? Oh, God. Number eight is Sam Houston. I don't even know who the heck that guy was. He's Sam from Houston. <laughs> uh, the Hart Foundation throws Santana out of the ring. Jesse, who has a long-running hatred for Tito Santana, or Chico Santana, as he likes to call him, <laughs> makes a comment after he gets thrown out saying, well, he's back to selling rotten tacos. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> uh, number nine is Dangerous Danny Davis, who goes right away to brawling with Sam Houston. Ten is Boris Zukov. And we begin getting our countdown to 11. And we hear, if you smell! Because <laughs> it's The Rock. Only it's The Rock Don Morocco. 
which is really funny because he's also being trailed by Nikolai Volkov right behind him. And it's like, why are there two guys running down to the ring? Um, the rock knocks him down really quickly, slides under the ring. He's the official number 11. And the, I guess the whole thing they're playing here is that Nikolai Volkov is foreign. He doesn't quite understand the rules. So he has to like stand there and wait for his turn. I don't know. It's a joke. I think, get it. Well, this is the first of, I think only three times that somebody has jumped the gun in a Royal rumble. If I'm remembering correctly, I might be uh, missing one or two people, but the only two other ones that I can remember are uh, Al Snow, I think, did it in 2001. Hmm. Somebody did it in 2001. I can't be sure if it's Al Snow or not. Um, and one other person uh, was Finley. Finley. Yeah, Finley. And they disqualified him that year for both that and using a shillelagh. But in this one, uh, Ventura is perfectly fine with them using weapons. He mentions that a little bit later on. Hey. And they didn't do anything with Volkov. Uh, so there was no rule about that, you know, uh, set in place. And this is actually one of the first things that comes in for, like, standard operating procedures of Roy Rumbles of, like, you gotta wait, you know, because Volkov had to wait. Oh, I see what you're saying. So it actually does kind of establish something there. Mm -hmm. Look at you, Tony, analyzing something valuable out of that. <laughs> Wago, what do you got? You got anything valuable to add? Nah. Or you just got something like racist comment against Russians to say? Fuck Russia. <laughs> well, if you're anti-Russia, you must be pro-American. You'll like number 13, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh. <laughs> He comes out, the crowd absolutely explodes, and they didn't even need music back then to get a pop. They just had to see his 2x4 lifted up through the crowd like Jaws Finn, just surfing through there. Uh, Harley Race gets eliminated, and he bumps shoulders on the way out, passing Duggan. Duggan almost runs after him, but instead screams his battle charge and runs into the ring. What was that, what was that battle charge again? Oh. <laughs> uh, run, running quickly through the next few here. 14 was Outlaw Ron Bass. 15, B, Brian Blair, the other killer B. 16, Hillbilly Jim. 17, Dino Bravo, the strongest man in the world, as Jesse Ventura called him. 18, the Ultimate Warrior, very, very new Ultimate Warrior, which is why, like, his whole appearance here was underwhelming. Like, he just kind of came out. There wasn't really a huge reaction, and even his elimination later on was just kind of, like, nothing. Yeah, I don't remember who did like it exactly, but they just kind of, like, tossed him, and it was like, oh, well, there goes Warrior. It's not like, yeah, holy cow, thing. there goes Warrior. Yeah, it's just to think what like what he became and fucking beating Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania. Yet no one gave a fuck right now. It's almost like what could have been with Maven. Yeah. Uh, number nineteen is the One Man Gang, and our final entrant, number twenty, Junkyard Dog. Uh, one Man Gang takes immediate control, making a number of eliminations as the big man, obviously be coming off as the big threat of the match. Being built as the big bad dog. The final four, after we get a number of eliminations, ends up being One Man Gang, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Dino Bravo, and Don Morocco. Bravo and the One Man Gang try to team up to take down the others. They are able to eliminate Don Morocco when Bravo holds his arms behind him like bully style. One Man Gang charges at him by hitting the ropes and hits him with a clothesline, knocking Don Morocco out of the ring. Duggan realizes he's alone, but does not shy down at all. He dives at one-man gang to start the fight, but the heels are able to take control with the double team. Eventually, they set up for the same elimination spot they did on Morocco, but this time, Duggan is smart enough to duck out of the way, causing one-man gang to eliminate Morocco. 
this uh excuse me to eliminate bravo this leaves gang excuse me this leaves one man gang and hacksaw jim duggan as the final two gang takes quick control by hammering on duggan until duggan can finally lure him over by the ropes which is where one man gang charges at him with a big clothesline but duggan drapes down pulls the rope sending one man gang over the ropes to the floor giving hacksaw jim duggan the victory and just like a lot of things on this no big pomp and circumstance, no celebration, no pyro, no confetti, no pointing to the WrestleMania sign. Just quick cut to a commercial. Yeah, very underwhelming, isn't it? It's just kind of like, especially after watching several segments where things kind of dragged out, then this is like, Axel Jim Duggan wins the Royal Rumble. We'll be right back. It's like, You're like why did he fuck. win the Royal Rumble? Why do I care that he did it? It just seems really fucking odd. What's, what's going to happen now? Like, insig- Insignificant. And Vince McMahon's like, ah, that's the only thing he's ever going to do in his whole career. Let's just get past this already. Well, for a number of years, like, they, they made some underwhelming choices. I mean, they had Hacksaw, then they had, uh, was it John Studd the next year? John Studd, yeah. Hogan the next two years after that, and then, uh... Well, I guess Hogan's a big deal, but... <laughs> then Flair. Huh. That was fair to Flair. <laughs> so, um, what do you guys think about this rumble overall? <laughs> Uh, you know, at the time, if I were watching it, it would probably be amazing. Really? It, yeah, 1988, when I was one year old. <laughs> Actually, no, at that point, I wasn't even a full well, year Well, just old. think about the things uh, we haven't seen at that point, and just to see all right. these guys in a ring at the same time like this. Yeah, because there are names in this. I mean, Jake the Snake's a big baby face right then, Ultimate Warriors, an up-and-comer, Bret Hart's obviously working his way towards the top. Uh, the, the people, the older guys, the Don Morocco's and the Dino Bravo's and the Volkoff's and all that other stuff. Obviously, Harley Race had a huge following beforehand. Tito Santana, you know, he had half of the following that Ricky Steamboat did because people were confused. <laughs> um, but you know, at the same time, though, it's another situation where it doesn't hold up as much over the years because now we've gotten to the point where we're used to seeing, you know, the Dolph Ziggler's out there and the God the. It's the things that John Morrison and Kofi Kingston have done to escape elimination. And then you watch this one and even simple things are seemingly too much for them to handle. There's a lot of eliminations here that are so clunky. Oh, yeah. And it's like, you know, somebody will punch somebody and they'll walk three steps backwards and then just kind of climb over the outside. And you're like, you're not even trying to make it look like the guy hit you out of it. You're just flat out uh you know making this like a a weird ballet and one thing that i had written down as a note of that that was just a good example of how boring a lot of this old wrestling can be and i'm sure that pisses off a lot of classic wrestling fans but it's the truth a lot of this stuff ends up being boring now hillbilly jim picks up danny davis puts him on the turnbuckle punches him once and then takes him down off the (laughs) roof at that point it's like you know you're not even trying to hit him over the top rope you're just wasting time and it's definitely more watchable than you know the dino bravo segment but the whole time i'm watching this i'm thinking of different things from even as early as the 1992 royal rumble which was significantly more fun to watch and uh 
commentary wise, it's more fun to watch the later ones too. McMahon starts getting crazier with them. He starts repeating the same phrases all over again. Like he's got this habit that he didn't establish yet of constantly saying, and another one joins the fray or anytime somebody big comes in, Oh, look at all the beef in the ring now. Like he didn't quite get into those yet. So I missed out on that in this one. There's, there's a lot of like sloppiness to it, but I'm sure in 1988, it was amazing. Now, 2015, uh, it's not one I'm, you know, clamoring to set up on my DVR. Nuego, if you had just seen these 20 names at this time, who would you thought would have been the favorite to win this match? Junkyard Doug. He was considerably more over than Hacksaw Jim Duggan from what I've gone back and looked on. So, um, I would have said Jake the Snake. Yeah, it's Jake the Snake. You heard the pop that came on his there. He's a big star, and he never really got any like recognitions. Another guy kind of like Ted DiBiase. Any final thoughts on the Rumble, guys? Overall, just sloppy performances from everyone, and it just kind of goes to show the go to show the evolution of the business. It's uh, really changed. Uh, the closest thing to what we have in modern day wrestling on this entire card was the women's tag match. So lackluster performance and. I I imagine at the time it was great, but what I've come to expect now it's just blah. It was Gerd. It was Bird. So after the Rumble match, we come back from commercial for an interview with Hulk Hogan being conducted by Craig DeGeorge, which is this nasally Ooh. little fucking bastard. I cannot <laughs> stand this guy. Go. Oh my god! Well, Hulk Hogan, what are you what are you gonna do? What do you got to say about that? Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, Hulk Hogan. I have a message for you from Ted DiBiase. Uh, Hogan says he can't wait to face Andre again. Hulkamania doesn't have a price. To beat me, you gotta beat all these Hulkamaniacs. And you can't do it! Not too much going on there. Uh, he also repeats that line again later on. Like That was supposed to be the end of it, and they kept going, and then it was just like, ah, uh, that thing I said before... Ah, Hogan. <laughs> Vitamins. <laughs> uh, our main event for the show, if you could believe it, is a tag team match. And of course, because it's a tag team match in the 1980s, it's a two out of three falls match. <laughs> this time we're getting the men out there. Not for the tag team titles, though. It's just a one-off tag match between the Islanders, who is Haku and Tama, going against the Young Stallions, the team of Paul Roma and Jim Powers. Uh, however, the bigger story that seemed to be more concerning of the commentators here is going on between the Islanders and the British Bulldogs, where there's this whole story going on where the Islanders and Bobby Heenan stole the mascot of the Bulldogs, the, their little dog, Matilda, and how the dog is just all traumatized. It's lost all this weight. And there was this whole thing going down. And, I, you know, I didn't watch then. I'm not fully up on that story there. But, dude, you don't steal someone's dog. That's messed up. And then in the Attitude Era, Al Snow got his dog fed to him, so how times have changed. <laughs> well, they couldn't do anything like that now, for sure. <laughs> I don't think that would even begin to fly. We don't even have animals on the show. Think of how many animals we had on TV back then. We had Grumpy Cat Did we fell have, asleep. We have so many animals. We had Hornswoggle as a, an alligator. We have El Torito. We had the Swagger Soaring Eagle. We got Lillian Garcia, the horse. <laughs> We've got all the, the Brahma bull and all the other bulls out there. Oh, and the bunny. You mentioned yeah, the bunny. Okay, all right. Yeah, I guess we do. Um, uh, Tama 
extends the handshake at the beginning of the match to Jim Powers, who, like a dummy, as the 80s babyfaces were, is unsure, but eventually goes for the handshake. Tama goes in for the kick, but Powers was able to catch the foot in order to take control at the start of the match. Roma and Powers keep trading tags, keeping themselves in. Uh, but I had a hard time fully paying attention to the match because something that I've noticed they is very similar to something they do today, to your credit, Tony, as you've been pointing out all night, Jesse Ventura and Vince McMahon spent the entire beginning of this match just bickering back and forth, not talking about the match at all, instead arguing about, uh, I don't even remember what exactly it was. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the, 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 Hogan, the thing. Hogan thing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It was, it was annoying. Uh, Tama eventually throws Roma towards the ropes as Haku pulls him down, sending him tumbling over the rope to the first floor, where it seems like he tweaks his knee. The referee takes a while to start counting, but eventually does, finally begins, and makes the 10 count, count out for the first fall of the matchup. So the, the Islanders begin one fall ahead via count out. Kind of an odd way to get that first fall in there, but again, how times have changed. You know, All these DQs and count outs, nothing you could do in present day. People will not accept that. We get fuck finishes all the time. What are you talking about? Yeah, and people are pissed off about it. Yeah, just because it doesn't fly doesn't mean they won't do it. <laughs> um, we come back from commercial. We actually don't jump right back to the match. Actually, we have uh, another interview going on with Craig to George. Fucking guy. He's interviewing <laughs> Ted DeBiase this time. He says that everyone has a price. Big surprise. Uh, and the next time that they see Hulk Hogan, it's not going to be a table covering him. It's going to be a giant. He passes the mic over to Andre the Giant, who says that he is going to defeat Hogan. He will make history by ending Hulkamania. Craig to George then tries to transition on, but <laughs> Andre the Giant punches him with his stomach and tells him, Don't ever stop me! And it just keeps yelling with his, his harsh accent, saying that he's going to deliver the belt to Ted DiBiase. What I loved about that is he, he blatantly just stopped and gave the guy time to transition and then decided he was not done. <laughs> Andre's great in this. He even says something like, I, I've been defeat undefeated and I am still undefeat or something. And he's every time that he says DiBiase's theme, I wish I could do an Andre impression, but I can't. I, I would be terrible just trying to do it. But the way he says it, it's not DiBiase, it's like DiBiase because of his accent. And it's just, it's fun to listen to him talk. And then he's got those bulging eyes. <laughs> Oh man, it's I fucking that's like one of the best parts of this whole thing. And I think the funniest thing about it is that uh, the 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 actual guy Andre the Giant is is known for a man of respect. Like you show him respect, he'll always show you tons of respect. So when he was talking about how they're they're gonna attack Hogan, they're gonna dominate him, he says that it's gonna be the team of Ted DiBiase, Andre the Giant, and Virgil. He actually mentions Virgil during the promo. Like, DiBiase never even mentions Virgil while he's there. Nah, DiBiase forgets he's there half the time. He's just kind of like, oh, oh, shit, you're around here? Yeah, all right, well, where's my money? Wait, we didn't turn you babyface yet? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And Andre's like, my best friend Virgil here. <laughs> Virgil's like, oh, shit, I don't know what to do. People are, you know, acknowledging me. <laughs> makes that goofy smile that Virgil makes. I think I should just look at the camera and hold this money like I've been doing this whole segment. <laughs> He's just like, look at this. It's like 500 bucks here. Yeah. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Five, Still 500. 500. <laughs> you want to get another shot at this 500 bucks? 100 of it might be disappearing in my pocket. 
I'll see you in Grand Central City. Uh, so we finally get back to the match. Paul Roma begins, but his leg is all wrapped up, obviously hurt. The Islanders take control until Roma can finally get the hot tag onto Jim Powers, but he's unable to keep the lead for very long. He starts taking major damage for majority of the match. Eventually he gets Paul Roma back in, but the Islanders continue working on the leg. They do a splash onto it, which follow up with a Boston crab getting the submission again, no tap out, just shaking the head. Islanders winning the two or three falls match in a quick two falls in dominating fashion, setting them up for what I assume would be a match against the British Bulldogs at some point. Any thoughts on this match, guys, as our main event for the first Royal Rumble event? I understand what they was trying to do with the work in the leg, but it was just so dull. I wasn't a big fan of this match, and I think with them switching uh, to an interview between falls... That also took me more out of the match too. I thought it was done. Like I, I figured, yeah. like that was, that was just, like they forgot it was a two out of three falls match, and we were just having the interview and then going home. Yeah, that was really awkward. I'm glad that they don't do that anymore. Because once you interrupt the match, you kill the flow. Yeah, whether it's for a legitimate purpose of like uh, how they've gotten into this habit, and thankfully they don't do it as much anymore. But they did really for a little bit there. Uh, whenever somebody was bleeding, that they would just stop the mm-hmm. match. That would really hurt it. This cutting the promo in the middle of it is really bad. Even when they have like a segment where a match is going on, but they've got like the little uh, picture in picture box in the corner and they're running some other promo, even that is distracting enough as it is. So I don't really know what they were thinking with that, but it was also kind of awkward just that they had the second fall happen like that. And, you know, the heels win and that's your go home. Like, so everybody goes, all right, well, we watched the main event, we watched the Hogan thing, and now we're going to watch Heels win two falls in a row in an underwhelming situation and go home unhappy. That's kind it's, of odd. It is really you know? weird that the Rumble match was not last. It, or even the Hogan thing last. Well, they um they had a different ideology back then in the 80s where the main event would often actually be in the middle of the show. That was actually mm-hmm. a very common thing. And so, sometimes they'd go off air in between, like in the middle of a match. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, yeah, we'll see the result of this next week, but we won't. And they completely forget and they don't tell you anything about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know, guys. That's that's the whole show there. So very underwhelming overall, I got to say. You know, no big main event, no big title match at the end. In fact, the only title match we had was the women's tag team title match, which... Again, never led to anything else. I mean, it was a good match for what it was. In fact, I would probably say it was match of the night, even including yeah, the Royal based, Rumble match. Based on quality, it should have gone on last. Um, the Rumble match, again, is almost always one of my favorite matches of the year. This one was just kind of meh. You know, not too many big names, no big exciting eliminations or non-eliminations or anything going on. And Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, I like him, but I'm, I'm not going to get too excited when when they didn't even again you know they're not showing any excitement for him winning there was no celebration why should i care imagine how bad this would have been if todd grisham was a commentator at the time <laughs> what well it's his, yeah his lack of excitement with christian's return where he's like hey that's that's christian huh yes it is so in this one he'd be like and the winner is duggan <laughs> yep Duggan. Uh, we come back from commercial. Jesse and Vince wrap things up and send us home. So that's how we're going to do. Guys, wrap it up and we'll start sending things home. What is your overall opinion on Royal Rumble 1988? Would you recommend it as something worth watching for people? 
Wago, why don't you go first? It was a very underwhelming show. I would not go out of your way to see it, but I would actually go out of your way to look at the women's tag match because it's actually some really good wrestling and comparable to some of the stuff that we've seen on NXT recently. It was just a solid match and acceptable by my views. So um, the overall show is just very dull, underwhelming, and embarrassing at some times, especially with the Dino Bravo segment. So don't put it on your to-watch list. <laughs> Tony? Don't watch the, the entire event, but if you're somebody who is getting into wrestling for the first time, you know, you're not as familiar as some people, you know, we've been watching wrestling since we were little kids and stuff, so mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff, you know, we just have become like second nature. If you're just getting into it and you think that the Royal Rumble match itself sounds kind of interesting, go back and watch it, because if you just watch the Royal Rumble match itself, it's not going to be as painful and once you watch that 99, uh, 1988 Royal Rumble, when you watch the other ones, you're going to have much more of an appreciation for them because mm -hmm. you're going to see how much they've advanced over the years. Because even even just to the uh, next year, how much it's gotten better. Yeah, it, it takes a huge step up in 89 and then it kind of stays around the same in 90 and uh, 91. But 92 is a special mm -hmm. one. And 93 is when things really start ramping up because that's when we get the Royal Rumble that we're more used to. By the time that they get to 96, I would say, is like the first oh. modern Royal Rumble. Mm -hmm. And 96 onward, I mean, even the worst ones are considerably better than the 19. You know what I think one. made a difference, honestly? And it, it, I believe it was 96 when they started it is when they had entrance music. Yeah, that makes a huge difference because you actually can get that you know, I hate to use the term, but like you can get built up and pop for when the people come out just because you hear that opening note of some. Yeah, well, I mean, that's know. like part of the whole aura of it is like you do the countdown from 10. There's that. And then there's that slight moment of silence waiting for who it is. And then the music hits. Yeah, there's some great examples over, you know, the past couple of years where. That could even be one of the best parts about it, and people die down a little bit like after their entrance comes in. I, I can't think of uh, any better mean, example than the one I was there for, Royal Rumble 2008, yeah. number 30, John Cena making the surprise return from injury in half the time. Nobody expected him to be there, and so when 30 clocked down, and they even like extended the silence just, just for a little bit longer, so he went, and like, Madison Square Garden, which is typically a, a anti-face, pro-heel crowd, even everyone in there went nuts because that was like, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. John Cena's here. So 20 years makes a huge difference. <laughs> Indeed. I, what I did love about that scene of fucking entrance was, there was like, they all cheered, and then there was like, wait a second. Oh, Cena's gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Fuck gosh, you. yeah, people walking out of the building that night. Uh, we'll have to do Royal Rumble 2008 on another episode at some point because I have a lot to recant on that yeah. show that I remember. That was the debut of uh, Mike Adamley. <laughs> that was when he said Jeff Hardy. Yeah, too, it was. Think, right? yes. Great debut. Well, he's not uh, that much better than, what was this guy's name? Craig, Craig Johnson Craig to George. Oh my gosh, horrendous. <laughs> Thank gosh that guy, on the same level. that guy didn't stick around for too long. All right, so before we head out of here, I just want to give my guests here a little bit of time to tell you about some other things they got going on in their world because uh, you know, they dedicated some time for you to get some entertainment. Perhaps you can find it in some other things they're doing. So, Wago, what's cooking? 
If you enjoy my uh, thoughts on pro wrestling tonight, I've also got a podcast over on my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Stephen Wago. It's called Wago Rants, and I go off about modern pro wrestling, a bit of MMA, and a few other topics that I find interesting. Also, check out Addicted to Anime on Mega Powers Radio. Um, it's a monthly podcast where we cover anime shows that we like and anime topics that are interesting. And also check out UDMMA for all your MMA needs. That's UDMMA.com, Facebook.com slash UDMMA, and Twitter.com slash UDMMA. Sing song. Tony, what do you got to say? I spin tons and tons of plates, but obviously for the wrestling side of things, you guys can check out SmarkOutMoment.com. And one of the podcasts that you can find there is Smack Talk, which you can find on iTunes and Stitcher and YouTube.com slash SmarkOutMoment. Obviously, that's got a Facebook and Twitter account, so at SmarkOutMoment for those. But I also do work otherwise uh, on the wrestling side of things on other websites like Bleacher Report, eWrestling News. And uh, we've got fanboysanonymous.com for the geek culture side of things. And if you want to just follow myself in particular, Tony Mango and A Mango Tree on Facebook and Twitter, you get where you can find information of whatever else is going on in my world. All right, folks, we hope you enjoyed listening to this edition, the first edition of the Keeping Kayfabe podcast. Uh, hopefully this isn't going to end up being like the first edition of Royal Rumble 1988 where we're looking back on this in 25 episodes and be like, my God, that was so awful. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please continue subscribing to us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And if you really enjoyed us, please support us by leaving a rating and a review. Seriously, that is the quickest way to help other people find for us when they're searching for wrestling-related podcasts. And it only takes a moment of your time. doesn't cost you a dime. Head to iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Leave a rating and a review. Until next time, stay tuned to us. Go to keepingkfabe.com for all the things cooking up there. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs>